the Opix Podcast, baby. Glad you tuned in. Got your host, thank me later, and you're stupid to win. Might become an obsession as soon as you begin. Start out king of the street, then lock it iconic in. Welcome to Offland. Grab your Opix, man. On your way in the door, hit you with four grand. Get to buying and gripping, then to selling and flipping. And welcome to the UPX Podcast, folks. This is T Davis with BDAG. Uh, how you doing, BDAG? A long time no podcast, man. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, glad to be back in the saddle here. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Uh, what a crazy couple of weeks we've had. Um, the first episode we missed was what? Because of uh, the 4th of July. Here in That's the right. I was out of town and you may have been busy. Fourth was on the Sunday. That made it would have made it tough. Yeah, yeah. So but we've done Monday, Tuesday recording, but then then last week. Last week we were off too. What the heck was up with that? Well, I was in uh California with the Green Rabbit team. Uh yeah, LFG, baby. With yeah. <laughs> With uh, helping out with their drop and attending the pre-launch party, which was pretty epic. Um, no jokes. How'd, how'd that go? Oh, it went great. It went, without a hitch, man. It was it was fantastic. Um, some celebrities were there. Uh, we actually went over to Tito Ortiz, the uh, UFC fighter's home in uh, Hunt, <laughs> Huntington Beach, and wow, uh, got to check out his home and his. Uh, nice boat in his backyard he's got a i guess a bayfront home or the bay in the backyard it reminded me very much of uh the new jersey coast the way that it was situated okay and, that sounds like it was pretty big time stuff then yeah then this project yeah for sure i mean the the drop has set the new gold standard for what can be accomplished on the wax blockchain with in terms of volume and, and dollar figures, I mean, it hit, I think, 1.5 million USD in wax, which is just insane. Gosh. To give you a uh, just a point of reference on that, the Metaforce drop, which was, I feel like, pretty uh, successful for the time that netted like 80 grand. So we're talking about a multiple of over 10x with the green. Yeah, added, but for perspective i was able i was not able to get any of the metaphors packs and i was on it and the green rabbit stuff i think i fumbled a little but i still ended up getting a couple of the mid-range packs yeah i don't know if that's due to volume or just the way things have changed yeah the way that it, they've changed with whitelisting and such uh i feel like okay. that played a big role with it um because right. the smaller packs didn't even make it to the to the public drop yeah that's right it was a tiered yeah. kind of uh, whitelisting. Yep. Good idea. For sure. So our last episode was recorded on the 28th of June. 28th of June. That was like last month. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of has gone on since then. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. We may not be able to cover it all, but we'll, uh, we'll hit some highlights. Here yeah, for sure. We'll do our best. So we had uh, first and foremost, the, uh, the luxury home competition. Then we were, I guess we talked about it the last episode that we recorded um, because I recalled trying to uh, rally the troops for Little Italy. And um, yeah, we had poison on uh, given given the uh, right, yeah, what, given war cry or whatever, trying to get trying to get people involved. 
Yeah, and so first, shout out to the Oaks and that collaboration, that that grassroots awesome thing that happened. Um, got a bunch of, you know, mid range to they had they had some whales in there also. Not like, not like the little Italy team had. We had a ton of whales, right? Um, and I think that's the only reason why we placed where we did. Just that amount of spark with those few people but what the oaks did was absolutely incredible uh, yeah absolutely they the nerd nerd Kuthlu, 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 i think it is that dude yeah yeah he he would check in with us and give us stats and and we we're kind of watching each other and i just knew they were gonna nail it i mean they had a, a well-oiled machine going on too yeah it was and they certainly deserve that win yeah, they absolutely. Did. They did fabulous. And uh, let's not forget about Tarpe, who placed uh, second. Yeah, they. I feel like they kind of came up from nowhere and made a huge showing. Right. Yeah. They and, had a. They, were they the ones that had a lot of spark purchased, brought in? Yeah, did I think so. On? Which I, I don't know if anyone is aware of this, but I, we were pretty dead set against. Uh, which you can look at it two ways, but we were pretty dead set against paying for this win. Uh, I think it would have been a lot closer had we. Um, and, you know, two sides of the coin would be, you know, we're, we're not going to pay for a win. We're going to try to just grind it out right. and place where we placed, which, you know, that's what we went with. But the other side would be, well, you know, if you're, if you're, if your motto or, or your, uh, what you're trying to do is support the community, which we, you know, that's what we, I, I feel like that's a, a big part of what the little Italy team does. Uh, yeah. Then why aren't you, why aren't you feeding these players who want to sell or are loan their spark, which uh, I'm, I'm definitely not against. So I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I, I don't know. It feels, you know, it should feel more like a contractor thing, but it felt more mercenary to me. I think like it was almost icky, uh, which I'm not saying that's the way it should have been. I think Tarpy did a really good job of showing what could be accomplished when you do uh, purchase spark people willing to sell. Uh, And, and it's a great strategy too. It's uh, I'm glad in little Italy that we didn't do any of that because it does show different uh different tactics that were used and all three of these teams got in by their own merits using different tactics and so i think that Excellent. was yeah. that was cool to see too no one tactic was hands down the way to do it this yeah. competition showed that there were three different ways so folks um getting a bunch of people on board tarpy with purchasing theirs and little italy building the community as we went and in fact, in the aftermath of all this, we are still building the community because early on in the competition, I had mentioned in our server that if you had taken your spark from the build and put your build on pause to put it on something in Little Italy that we would reciprocate after the contest was over. Oh, right. And Thanks for we've been me. doing that. A bunch of people from Little Italy have been jumping on other people's builds who paused uh, to help us with ours. So my my spark has not been working for me for ever since the competition ended i've been yeah, dropping it on mine, everybody else's mine and i know a bunch of other people have to oh, working at all right now i need to oh shoot <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I, I'll take care of that. My bad. Cool, yeah. Well, we're going to get everybody taken care of before we start building uh, in Little Italy again. Yeah, about half of mine is staked to, I believe, the f- first three on the list, but then the contest wrapped up, and I've just been so busy with things. Now that sure. I look, I've got another half just sitting there doing nothing. So, All right, time to move around. Yep. Well, all right, so did they distribute... I know that I got a pop-up in-game saying that I got, I think, 0.2, was it, or 0.02? 0.02, yep. Got my 0.02 Spark 2. I had a player contact me and said, look, this is the amount of Spark I put in. I should have got some, right? And uh, we looked at the records, and sure enough, he had dropped a big, fat wad of Spark. So he reached out to support. Support said, no, he never did uh, stake in Little Italy at all. I'm like, no, I know he staked in Little Italy. So I went there and I traced the chain. And sure enough, he had staked in Little Italy. We haven't gotten a result yet of if he got his 0.02 spark. But uh, there may be some others out there who feel they're in the same position. Now, this player had staked 5.9 spark. So don't be thinking that if you staked your 0.01 spark that you should be getting something. Because Little Italy, we barely had 100 players staking. But Oaks and Tarpy, there were way over 100 uh, players staking in those neighborhoods so it's pretty likely that if you were staking less than i don't know i'm going to guess 0.05 or even less than one spark you probably did not end up getting anything in those neighborhoods but if you got more than that if you stake more than that and you didn't get anything um fight it uh because support was wrong all right excellent thanks for letting them know that that uh yeah if we didn't even have 100 and pretty much everybody should have gotten something right yep yeah well we must have had 100 because they were going to divide it out between up to 100 players right yeah so i know i got my point or two so we had at least minimum 100 and probably just just that what did we have hmm yeah i'm trying to find the numbers right now but Oh, uh, one of the NFTs I got says of 67, but that doesn't seem right. We had, we had to have more than 67 people staking. Yeah, definitely. Here we go. This one's of a 109. So yeah, oh, that's we right. must yeah, have yeah. about 109 people staking and some of them just putting in their 0.01 pittance, hoping they'd make it. But uh, yeah, otherwise pretty much everybody got some spark for being in the Lily. Excellent. Excellent. And yes, I just moved all of my spark over to uh, first assist that I promised. And this way I'll get a notification when it's complete and I can move on to the second now that that one will finish much faster. Ooh, right on. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Um, so what, what else do we have on the agenda here? Um, they announced some more collections, right? No, it wasn't collections necessarily. There were some collections in Chicago that had been incomplete. Ah, that's right. And one of them was uh, very near and dear to me. was the Frank Lloyd Riot. I was promoting this one before Chicago dropped. Uh, there were probably about 20 properties, 25 properties I'd identified that were Frank Lloyd Wright properties. Uh-huh. Well, when they released the collection, they were missing eight, nine, ten of them, I think, including the one I had. So I pushed pretty hard and I gave a lot of information on which properties should have been included and even one property that was included that should not have been. 
So they went ahead and they fixed that mostly. Yeah, um, I think I saw that announcement. Right. So can you Frank Lloyd Wright. To, so who was Frank Lloyd Wright, first of all? Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright was a pretty famous architect in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, he founded the prairie style of. God, like a prairie arts and crafts style, something very typical to the Midwest. And he uh, he has builds all over the U.S., but a lot of them in the Midwest. Uh, he's got a couple in Japan as well, uh, but he was born in Chicago, or at least he did most of his work in Chicago, rather. And so he's got a lot of stuff there from his time uh, in Chicago and and all throughout the area again too, but there's quite a few in Chicago specifically. So there are several lists online you can find of all the builds that he designed within Chicago city limits. Okay. And several of them, uh, several of them were on the list, which is awesome. Um, his design standards were a little bit different than the typical house. If you know what you're looking for, they're pretty easy to spot. Excellent. They're, they're just a little, just a little different, but very beautiful. So we've got a few that kind of missed the boat and I was pushing to try to get those last couple on the list because they're his. Right. Yeah. They're his designs. So yeah. we'll keep fighting for you guys. Yeah. I don't know where I can't, like why I can't find this announcement about it, but it, yeah, it disappeared. Uh, it's an under Upland updates. Is that it? It's at, yeah. It's not on I mean, we got stuff in a bunch of different channels. Right, yeah. So it looks like they added two to the Mafia collection. That was the other one, right? And Riverwalk was another that they'd missed, a Wacker Drive. Address. Right, yeah. So it's, I'm glad they're going back and they're getting stuff fixed. Right. Make it correct, correct. Not Upland correct. <laughs> it's Metaverse, but it's still based on the real verse. So uh, I'm glad we're getting. Yeah, this is always such a real touchy sort of... subject when this when when they do this, and you're never going to make everyone happy. I, I definitely appreciate the effort by the Upland team here. Certainly, um, if you remember the skyline inc incident, that was. Uh, yeah, that was a little more loosey goosey in the criteria that were required. Right. This and well, Mafia too. I don't know exactly what all went into figuring out the Mafia collection. It seems to me that one would be about as loosey goosey as Skyline, right? Uh, but Riverwalk and Wright buildings, those are pretty hard set in stone of what the criteria should be and which ones qualify. Sure, right. Mafia, that would be a fun one to explore sometime. Yeah, it would. Not on our agenda for tonight, but we should consider <laughs> that. Yeah, for sure. So let's take a look at what uh, what else we had. We had the final Cleveland release. Uh, were you able to participate in that? Yes, I was. Uh, had a few things targeted, and I think I'm one of the only people that secured two properties on Public Square. Uh, there's about 12 properties or total and there's a lot of speculation that could be an ultra rare collection. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm excited about possibilities there. Otherwise I pretty much only went in for things I thought could have been potential collections. I was not buying up Cleveland at all. Were you able to get anything in there? Um, a little bit. So 
before, and we'll we'll talk about this, I think, next, but they made some changes yeah. to, to Fiat out, and uh, that kind of okay. messed up my game a little bit, right? Because um, that was one of the things that uh, was really keeping me involved. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't want to hear my uh, Fiat Alpha participant tears, <laughs> but um, the change was i mean you know i knew it was coming but it just the the 30 day thing really hurts my uh the the routine that i was in which was um gotcha, you know, yeah. converting converting my upex dividends into usd by purchasing um you know just cheap properties 3000 upex and listing them for $3 uh, it was a pretty common strategy if you were to ever look on the, uh, which I'm sure it still is. It's just going to take a lot longer now to execute it. And I have to keep track of when I bought things this way. And Oh gosh. Right. Uh, yeah. It just seems like a ton of work. Um, but I guess if I'm buying a few every day and I keep track of everything, then in 30 days, it won't be an issue since I'll always have something turning over. Right. as, they, yeah, as they sell but um yeah that's that's what my main purchasing was looking like in cleveland i didn't okay. i didn't really get a whole lot at all as far as properties or collection speculations either either man okay yeah either i have a bunch in I guess Glenville, some in central. I tried to get some near downtown and the coastline there, uh, Detroit Shoreway and Ohio City. I have a few there. You know, I'm always a big fan of any parcels near the train station. Sure. Um, but unfortunately, didn't get any there. Yeah, they always go so fast. And then there was there was this one little sliver that was that was unminted and you couldn't get to it. You had to drift to it from where you were at and uh I think I did something stupid like ran out of sends, so I had to go get one and by the time I came back to it, uh Wally Bala had minted it, so uh, 1800 Scranton Ave. Just know, Wally Bala, that I had my eye on that right before you minted it. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So the changes to Fiat Out, had they affected you at all? No, I have not been a huge Fiat Out player. I, uh, I've hit net positive. So I'm focusing a lot now on just trying to continue to build my portfolio. And uh, if I find a deal too good to pass up that's fiat, then I'll fiat some in and at some point make sure that I fiat back out to stay net positive. Yeah, I'm glad that they have, have opened it up to, I guess, pretty much open beta now. Um, right. I, I know a lot of people, uh, friends and friends of mine that, that had signed up you know, a long, long time ago and just have never gotten around to applying for Fiat out. Finally did with my prodding and poking, and uh, they all told me huh. they got the acceptance email, which yeah, is great. Cool. You know, um, anytime you can extract value back out of 
a uh, a game. I mean, it's fantastic. Right, and the nice thing about it too is that it doesn't deplete Upland uh, Upland's coffers specifically because it's outside players. Right. Uh, that are that are giving you the fiat. I mean, they're bypassing purchasing any epics to do it, but at least it's not diminishing the upland uh, economy, at least as far as the epics goes. So it's I feel kind of feel like it's a win-win. We get to get money out of it. Uh, other people maybe have a win by not having to purchase the epics, and uh, upland doesn't suffer because of it. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Um, we had emoji appreciation giveaway. Did you see that? I did. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know what to think about that. I know that they did an in-game, uh, the the block explorers, right? Let's see, what was this about? Right, they were selling a few. Right. And then there was also you had to sign up, basically give your your in-game name and your email address, your wax, no, not your wax wallet, email address. And then also on Saturday, you were supposed to go and make three visits to other properties. Yep. I and, think I missed that. Yeah, I definitely did. And they didn't pull those winners yet, right? I haven't seen anything. Yeah, I don't think they did. It doesn't look like it. Oh, okay, we can look forward to that. The other big news was the... Uh, the blockchain heroes upland cards common rarity burn activity so for the i guess they're ogs now the uh some of the veteran players you'll remember them releasing the upland.cards collection on wax right and i remember at the time doing the uh the math on the on the size of the release and um, not having a really high opinion of, of the number that they were, I think it was like 300,000 or, or maybe it was, yeah, it was 300,000 cards total that they were, they were going to be minting in, in packs. And at the time that was, that was just extraordinarily large. Um, so there's a, there's a ton of cards out there. Um, the good thing about it is uh, they became stakeable on our planet, I think, a little bit after uh, they had released. And so that immediately gave them a boost in, in value. Because if you remember, yeah, I think right. when they when they first released them, there was just the resale. It just it wasn't there because there were, there were too many of them. Right, saturation. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, you know that our planet staking, you know, skyrocketed their value, and now they're going to. It sounds like they're maybe they always had this plan. That's why they minted so many. Um, it's a hundred card common burn to, Jeez. which is ridiculous. If like I've never seen that. That's no. And it sounds like that's what they're trying to do. They're, you know, just trying to fix how many there are out there. One way to do it? Yeah, it it will. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out because there's a lot of there's a lot of variables here. Um, there's any future inherent value that they hold in Upland, whether 
Um, and you know, they're talking about the, the NFT portal is right around the corner now and they'll be able to do all kinds of fun things with those cards in game. But then you also have, you know, the, the R planet factor on those cards. Um, and they've been moved over to a, a staking pool. So each card that's staked affects the next one. So if you're pulling a hundred commons out, the staking value of every remaining staked common will rise. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that you're, you're messing with numbers here now. So those commons could probably start to become, well, not as common and right. worth something. And the, since they're returning a legendary or a mythic, then in you know those staking pools are, are going to come down if if they're staked. There's no guarantee that they will be, but I can't see why anybody who knows what they're doing or knows about both games wouldn't keep their upland cards there. Since sure, um, you know that's just that would be the smart thing to do. What's also going to be interesting is when the uh, the NFT portal is finally here and we can import those mythic block explorers into the game because you just once again we're going to see you know a bunch of variables at play um are people you know what do people want more do they want the in-game block explorer which i would hope right or do they want to maintain their uh mining rate in our planet because let me take a look to see what a mythic well, the block explorer is a block explorer when you bring it in game, right? Can you tell that it's a common versus a mythic? So they're only on the mythics, right? And so they're the yellow. Ah, okay. Yeah, only the mythics. And they only That's stake block for 80.82 ether per hour at the moment. And so okay. That's not very significant and certainly not for a mythic. So right. I, I, I would feel that this would hold much higher value as a block explorer in game. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, that's why I bought one of them. I don't think I got any of these in packs, and I was bummed about that. So I bought one on the secondary market, and I can't remember how much wax I paid for it. I would hope and assume that the value has gone up quite a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a great question. Seemed like there was uh, quite a bit of excitement about the whole thing, but then also quite a bit of WTF about it too. Yeah, I wish it was easier for me to find out how much I paid for it. I want to say 1500 wax and that feels right. And they've dropped significantly since then. Dropped, okay. So yeah, like right now the cheapest Black Explorer Mythic is 999 wax. Okay. So maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't think so. Because that just feels like that was in the neighborhood. I'm sure I could look it up. But um, that's about 120 about $120 right now at the current uh, exchange rate for wax. Uh, that's true. With the value of wax having gone down, you lost the... Uh... Two ways. Right, yeah. 
that's why we huddle and it. there i think there's what how many of these there's only 15 of of each one and so i don't know that feels like it's worth more than a hundred yeah you think the value will come up and, and twenty thousand upics in game are the mythics that you get out of the burn supposed to have be the part of that 15 um i think they're going to be if i'm not mistaken they'll they'll be a new a new set so okay. they're doing 12 new cards 10 legendaries and two mythics and the two mythics i mean they're going to have to be because they can't go back and they can't do anything about the ones that are already minted and exist right. out there um so hmm. yeah they'll have to come up with two new mythic block explorers which is which is great they uh they should reduce the quantity of the amount of cards they have out there yeah definitely especially if you want to get value for the current holders right so i can't and when does that start that's going to be on the 30th so we've still got almost two weeks to go yeah how much is a comment right now let's check this out for our audience also you could probably scoop up a hundred so right now there's one well past tense there was one for 3.99 wax and now the floor is 4.39 which isn't bad so it would cost you around i don't know around 500 wax probably to grab 100 commons and let's compare you said your mythic is uh, has a market value of nine ninety nine, but yeah, uh huh. And the lowest the one mythic is five hundred and fifty wax. So, so you would potentially be there's some arbitrage. Yeah, you would be gambling, right? Because the legendaries are priced oh, at ninety four, and that's what you're probably going to get. True. So maybe it's not a good one to try to arbitrage it might be better to buy up a bunch of commons and see if the market increases on them yeah i would well what i would probably do is i would use yeah i would count up what i had and then buy what i needed and then likely do it that way that's probably what i will do i'll have to take inventory to see what i have cool um, let us know in a couple of weeks how it goes how yeah i think it's yeah i think it's on the uh the 30th if i'm not mistaken where did i see that yeah the burn activity will be live on july 30th sweet and will last until all cards are claimed wow it'll take more than a day yeah that's a great question i don't know probably i guess i i wouldn't know that the way I'm interpreting it is it's it's not just 12 cards that they're looking to, to get 1,200 uh, commons burned for. It's 12 various cards that have their own supply of. So right. um, I, I would have to know how many of each there are to give an estimate on how long I think it would take. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be done in the, in a day. But who knows? But don't sit around and wait either. Right. 
Yeah, the uh, right. the the burn activity is going to de- depend on whether or not it is mint on demand. Also, I think because uh, those burn upgrades usually are. I guess it depends on who they're doing it through. Um, but you can, you know, that's going to, you know, if they don't set it up as pre-mint pools, which I I think they might be able to do. But if they don't, then the first to the trough will get all of the low mints. So that's always a plus as well. True, yeah. Cool. All right, moving on. They had the Bakersfield Landmark Auction. Did you Did you see that? Okay, uh, I think I saw it in passing. Yeah. And so the Bill Clock Tower, have you ever heard of that? No. <laughs> But I barely heard of Bakersfield before Upland, so <laughs> there's that. Yeah, let's see. Okay. Where is this Bill Clock Tower? The Beale Clock Tower. Beale, B-E-A-L-E. Ah, B-E-A-L-E, Memorial Clock Tower. It's located at the intersection of 17th Street and Chester Ave. Uh, it sold for 15 million upics, which is the equivalent of 15,000 USD. Was that pretty immediate? Yeah, within a minute. Um, the uh, buyer was Sanctum, and he cited the Envenom purchases of the um, Chrysler building and what's his other landmark. I forget which other one he has. But he cited those as his uh, inspiration for buying the okay. Beale Tower within under a minute. It looks like he may have flipped it already. If I'm looking at the right thing here, you said 17th and what? Uh, Chester. But I don't see. That's what it says in Wikipedia. And I looked at the picture. That's definitely it. Okay, because there's uh, something at 17th between H and I, 1707 I Street. And when I say I Street, I don't mean the letter I. They spell it (laughs) E-Y-E. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I can't even find it on the map. Okay, here it is. There's the coordinates. Yeah, this is interesting. Chester Avenue. All right, I'm checking out Chester up and down, and that's it. There's two landmarks. There is the, see, it's 17th and I. There's something. All it says, though, is historic places and areas. It doesn't say which one it is. And then there's the First Baptist Church over at 17th uh, between L and M. Yeah, there's a ton of ultra rares in this area also ain't seeing no water tower or clock tower or whatever it's supposed to be yeah how odd i'll have to look up the sanctum's properties maybe he did flip it but i don't even see any oh this is weird so wikipedia says it was built in the middle of the intersection 17th and chester and then they moved it that would be my guess 
without uh, sitting here wasting airtime to figure it out. Um, yeah, we didn't do our research here, man. Damn it. No. Sorry, guys. We're just like usual. We're winging it as we go along. Yeah, but I, we, this is where we needed uh, poison or somebody to do our data in the in the in the audience. Uh, yeah, no kidding. So uh, it also says here that in 1961, a group of local citizens organized an effort to rebuild it, and that is in front of the Kern County Museum on Chester Avenue, about a mile and a quarter north of its original location. So while it may have originally existed at Chester in the 17th, a uh, mile and a quarter, that's going to be, what, 25? So it should be around... 40th if such thing exists all right what do i get when i go near 40th here i'm still not finding anything well it's around here somewhere i guess the next thing is to figure out where the kern county museum is right yeah all right, well, we'll move on, and we'll have uh, somebody ping us the address if they could find it. I wish they would have posted that in the announcement. I That's, found it. You did? Where did you, where'd you find yep. it? Yep, 3801 Chester Avenue. 3801. Still owned by Tanktum. Oh, I was way off where I was looking. And there it is, it's gigantic property. It would have to be a gigantic property if you're selling it for $15 million. You don't want to buy no piddly little quarter block of a city for $15 million. Yeah, and it's a historic places and area, so historic Bakersfield. So if he had a second, and it's also a Chester Ave collection. Yeah, right. So he's got two options there to, to maximize his, his divs. Uh, looks like at minimum it's going to pull in like two hundred and sixteen k. Uh, Upix per month and with uh, collection boosted earnings anywhere between 237 and 583,000 per month. That's pretty awesome. Some juicy divs. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, that we that took a lot more time than I had anticipated <laughs> for this have. little bit of information. Bill Clover, 15 million Upix Sanctum. Shout out. Congrats. Uh, they had the replica um, contest, which um, that was cool. Yeah, I I would I kind of feel bad in hindsight with how much of a fit I was throwing over them restricting us to in uh, into like in real life buildings on the properties because you know my my argument was this was always this is against everything that's ever been communicated as far as what you can do with your parcels and i was always under the impression that it didn't it didn't matter what existed there in real life you could put whatever you wanted on it when the time came and yeah i felt the same way being limited even in a three property test run which again like i feel bad because i i, I now feel like that i'm wrong for feeling that way after seeing these 3D models that are incredible. Have you seen them? I have. Oh, well, hang on a sec. You're not unjustified, though, because I think there was a lot of confusion when this whole thing started because they put 
they put that announcement for creating your own 3D models in the West Coast luxury home thing. So at first glance, it looked like you could only come up with properties from San Francisco that you owned, uh, replicate right. properties you own in San Francisco or Fresno or Oakland or maybe Bakersfield. And it was not immediately clarified, but it ended up that you could do any property that you owned in any of Upland. And by that time, I had, I didn't, I didn't have any desire to run with it anymore, but I would have worked on something in New York. I would have been a little pressed for time too, was the problem. So I think by the time I figured it out, what was really going on and what was allowed, I just had run out of time uh, to be able to get on it. So that was a little bit of a disappointment too, that the communication was not clear directly from the start. Right. Um, But the designs themselves, you started to say, I don't want to harp too much on what was wrong with it. Yeah. These are incredible, man. They did. Let's look at what went right with this contest. So the, who won? Let's see. Johnny magic. Uh, Yeah. Are they, is there a first, second and third or do they all win? They all just, Uh, right. It's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, they've got them. Well, just like the uh, snapshot of the standing in the luxury homes competition where we never knew if it was the correct order. Let's just assume the top one is first place. Hmm. All right. Johnny Magic, congrats for taking first. <laughs> Woo. First uh, on the list. 10-335 South Longwood Drive in Chicago, he picked. Yeah, um, this is a gorgeous mansion. Is that a mansion? Well, it sure looks like it to me. I mean, look at the size of the model compared to the IRL. It follows pretty closely. I would say the model maybe is a touch bigger than the IRL, but uh, yeah, maybe it's not a mansion. Yeah, it's pretty, to me it's like a it big house, three though. to 4,000 square feet. Yeah, that's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of rooms there. Um, and just really well done. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, that looks pretty good to me. Yeah, our, so I think he's going to have to wait until building comes to Chicago. Is that what they communicated? Well, I don't know. That's still a little bit confusing. Is this property only allowed to be put on his Longwood Drive? Or is right. this another model that's going to make it into all the available options that anybody has? Right. That's a good question. Yeah, nobody knows. All right. And then we had Auriga. And they did 2610 California Street, San Fran. And this looks like a very San Francisco house to me. It does. It's a row house. Uh, it's got a lot of great aspects to it. San Francisco, I don't think there's one flat property in San Francisco, maybe huh. in Sunset. But you got, yeah, you got hills and elevation all over the place. So this property actually has a double staircase going up to it with the first flight having a garage at it. However, that would have been a lot more difficult to try to fill in the underside of the entire house. So Ariga did a very good job of deleting that garage on his model sure. and adapting this for a flat lot. And it looks spectacular. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's another a big house with a lot of rooms. 2610 California street. I'm going to have to look that one up. What neighborhood is that in? Do you know? Not offhand. Sounds like it's west of Knob Hill. I don't know. It's out there somewhere. 
Panhandle? No, it's too far south for Panhandle. 2610 California. Oh, it looks like Pacific Heights. Yeah, I was going to guess that this is a collection property house. That would be even cooler to see. Yeah, excellent. Good job, Auriga. And then last but not least, uh, Gremlin uh, 1001 Monterey Boulevard. Again, San Francisco. This one is this is the one that I, I think should have won. This one is incredible. It is. It's got a lot of different massing and uh, not not different shapes to it. It's it's a lot of the same roof slope throughout, but the way everything is staggered on it, and then with the half circular entrance, it's just right. very striking house. Yeah, that's a pretty neat staircase that they have there. There's actually two if you look in the in real life picture. Oh yeah. And go up two flights of stairs, and then it looks, looks like there's a little uh, mother-in-law or something there off to the right. Could be, yeah. And then the main main house. So this is another pretty big-looking one. Looks like a it could be three or four thousand square feet, and it's also rather rare in that it's a freestanding home. What there's you... this whole section of southwest San Francisco that is not row houses where the houses are like individual homes on each lot. I'm talking IRL. Gotcha. Uh, but most San Francisco is row houses where your sidewalls touch your neighbor's sidewalls. So these are all cool looking houses. Yeah, the only thing is Westwood that, Park that one is in. Yeah. Um, the only thing is the two of them are big and it's all still residential. I uh, would like to see some more commercial. I, I was going to do a commercial building if I'd had time to enter this contest. Sure, yeah. Because I think we need some more of that in the game. But yeah, these look outstanding. I can't wait to see them in the game somewhere. Uh, let's see. Anything else about these models? Are you still gawking at them on screen? Yeah, I'm checking them out. Gotcha. Uh, these were all built in Blender and yeah. exported as GLTF files. And uh, a shortcut to that, if you're, uh, I'm a lot more architecty. I have tried Blender before. I don't get it at all. But if you use SketchUp, like I do, you can create your initial model in SketchUp, and then you can save it as, oh gosh, I forgot what you can save it as. There's a file format you can save as from SketchUp that you can then import to Blender and start doing some of the renderings uh, to get them to look a little more realistic. SketchUp always looks cartoony. It doesn't matter how, how you filter uh, and change your settings. It always looks a little cartoony. Uh, but throw it in Blender and you can start to get these nicer looking models. You know, that one on the bottom there by Gremlin almost looks like uh, you could almost believe it was created out of cardboard, that it was a, a real miniature. Just all the detailing on it and the texturing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Colada <laughs> file, does that sound right? Colada, yeah, that's it. It's a Colada. Yep, C-O-L-L-A-D-A. Excellent. And so they had mentioned that uh, these 3D custom imports that the whole point behind doing this was um, giving i guess their design team the ability to see how difficult 
it was going to be to take community submissions and actually okay. get them imported. Right. Um, they mentioned that that will, like that's we're on the cusp of that as well, um, which is great because there's going to be a, a huge demand for that, especially when the uh, the business beta eventually rolls out. I know that uh, all of those selected for that group are not wanting to put their business in a residential uh, myself and i think you included so, correct yeah it'll it'll be pretty uh, pretty awesome to be able to import a commercial building if that functionality exists at the time and you know what else is uh i, I noted that in the upland update that x1 does he mentioned that the um the 3D imports and the NFT portal will all play a role in uh, a new community governance uh, feature. And those two words together sound pretty exciting. Uh, Sounds to me like why you buy into certain crypto tokens for community governance. Yeah, and I think it'll be pretty amazing to uh, have that have that feature in, in the game where you know you're you guys are making dis decisions and choices for for your neighborhoods as a as a community um deciding what to do with things and uh that's all that's all very exciting stuff that we talked about uh, yeah you can have metaverse homeowner association right. i love it yep yeah like months ago we were talking about this kind of thing and it Chris. looks like that'll be uh coming up and speaking of 3d custom models there are three san francisco landmark models that they uh they showed us the uh the coit tower ghirardelli and the ferry building will be the first three um built to you know, scale i guess or replica of the existing landmarks That'll nice be finally yeah yeah yeah, that was also uh, the, in the Upland update. We got a chance to see what those look like. Uh, pretty impressive stuff. I don't remember. I think, doesn't Jones own the Ferry Building, right? That sounds right. Does Mix own Girardelli? Mix Plick? I think he might. He owns the Mint. Fu Manku owns Telegraph Hill, where the Coit Tower is. Who owns G Girardelli? And Ghirardelli Square, if I got the right one here, is that Dizzy? No, that's wrong property. Uh, is this another case where, again, we didn't do our research and we're kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of the uh, OG... Yeah. But the in-game is taking me to City Hall, and I know that's not right, because I thought it was... That's not right. Yeah. Oh, come on. Come on, man. You're supposed to know this. I should. I'm really slacking. So many cities. I've lost track of where San Francisco is anymore. All right. Uh, this is it here. I got it. I got it. 900 North And Point. it is mixed plug. You see? I knew what it I was is. talking about. Yeah. 851 Beach Street. There you go. Okay. 
So that's going to be pretty cool for him to get that. That's a really large parcel. It is. That's like a full city San Francisco block, and San Francisco city blocks are a bit big. I hope it looks right sitting on that. (laughs) Again, San Francisco, not a flat lot on any of them. It's been years and years since I've been to San Francisco, but I remember visiting Ghirardelli Square, and I don't remember it being a flat lot. I remember the property, the, the square itself was flat, but I think the entrances and the different street facings were at different levels. At least that's the way I remember it. Yeah, and they, you know what else they mentioned on the Upland update? I feel like I'm just summarizing it at this point, but uh, they mentioned a property filtering feature and a minimum, minimum offer feature, which speaking of landmarks, that's, that's an important thing to, oh, yeah. to have because the only way to uh, you know, stop offers, lowball offers from coming in is to list a property for a ridiculous price but with these landmarks, the highest that you can list it for, I think, is a uh, hundred million upics. And you know, some of these landmarks, their price tags are like forty million. So that's only a two and a half x. And you know, somebody might be inclined to pay that. And, and now you inadvertently sold your landmark, and you are just trying to avoid getting spammed with lowball offers. So that's definitely right. a long time coming. I'm glad to see that uh, that will be implemented. I feel like that's going to pave the way for some new uh, data analytics, right? Um, it's good since it'll, in time, it'll, we'll, we will stop seeing all those ridiculous sale price listings. And then you can kind of start to get a feel of, uh, you know, a more accurate look of what properties are being valued at, if that yeah, makes right. sense, right? Right. Although you should never base your valuation off of listings, always off of past sales. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Speaking of numbers, I so I ran Cleveland numbers since they released those. And uh, I like this every time we do a podcast, I run a different city's numbers uh, one uh, that I haven't run before. I got a pretty good streak going here, I think. Cool. Um, Cleveland had about 2,400 secondary market sales, 2,462. The average sale price was 9,600. Uh, the median was 3,500. So the median is a number that falls in the middle of the data set. And the mode is the number that appears most frequently meaning this was the most attractive number to buyers of cleveland secondary market properties and that number was 3400 so i pulled cleveland being a tier two city i pulled oakland's debut which was drastically different and so let me just do a little quick comparison between the two so there were there were a lot less sales there were only 1900 to the 2400 in Cleveland, which that's not surprising at all. There's been a lot more players added since then, but the average and everything else, the average, the median and the mode were, I mean, the median and the mode were more than double. The average was about 3000 upics more. So it was 12,235 
Uh, the median was 8,500 and the mode was 8,000. And I, I, you know, I think I could tell this story if, if I had to, um, when Oakland came out, they were, you know, Upland was just barely getting by with unminted properties and they just, they weren't lasting they were, they were going right. so fast. The unminted were gone. There was nothing for non FSA to buy other than secondary market properties. And so that obviously has had driven all of those numbers to where they're at. And now that we see it with Cleveland, um, it's just a supply demand thing. There, there's much greater supply of unminted properties at this point, which is great. I feel like that's where they, they need to keep that, that balance. Yeah, it helped a lot releasing Chicago right before this, which at, what was it, 600,000 properties or something like that, gave us uh, a nice glut of stuff to mint. And then when Cleveland came out, you know, we just got Chicago. And so we're like, Cleveland, why Cleveland? Cleveland, uh, Cleveland's garbage, whatever. But of course, we all went in and we minted anyway. But uh, now we still have plenty of unminted problems. There's still unminted non-FSA in Chicago. There's plenty oh, of stuff. Wow still to mint so uh yeah you're right when cleveland came around i think everybody had already sort of been satisfied enough you know if you go to cleveland right now and you check the marketplace there the lowest is 3200 epics and there are no fiat sales that i can find but um did they drop that fiat thing before or after cleveland started could very well be that Cleveland is a victim of hold for 30 days before fiat. Yeah, it was, I think, like, it was after, but not much after. Yeah. And I think it would be representative in this data set. This is just the last week. I didn't run, like, the full almost three weeks worth of data to uh, get these numbers. So this is just the last seven days from today. Sure. You know what? I'm going to see if I can list one of my first Cleveland properties for fiat right now. U.S. dollar. Nope. I still need to hold this property for 11 days, 22 hours more. Wow. Well, all right. Let's talk about the top five uh, secondary market purchases. Uh, okay. So I didn't see anybody crack a, a million, which that might be the first time in a long time that we've been able to say that. Um, the top... Secondary market sale was uh, to a, looks like a a new whale. I haven't seen this name before. It's TMSHRV. And for 700,000 upics, he bought 1840 Carter Road, which is a 1,236 up squared size parcel that is right near the water in Cuyahoga Valley neighborhood, which there's been some speculation about that being a collection. Oh, really? Yeah. You know what? Is that right next to it? Sure is. It's right next, right to, next to that one I was trying to get, that Wally Bola. Ah. How about that? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice property. It looks like he's got it for sale for about two times what he paid, 10x what it minted for. Um, he also bought 260 Mahoning Ave. Another Cuyahoga Valley property. Is it? It is. 
Yeah, and this one is just as big at like 1,351 up squares. And I, I qualify this as on the water. I know it's not technically on the water, but it's close enough. Um, it's in the floodplain, at least. Definitely in the floodplain. <laughs> Uh, it looks like they, that one sold for about 527,000 upics. And this one's also listed for sale for about twice what he paid for it. So it looks like he's trying to flip these. And that's a 5X on what it minted for, minted for 175,000. So interesting strategy here. Uh, TMSHRV has. Net, I think a net worth of like over 23 million upics at this point. Uh, right on. Executive uh, director or whatever that is. Yeah, executive. So the third one is from my buddy W, w Champion, who also goes by Vedmac in the uh, the Discord oh, okay. server. Um, I got I got to ask him about this one because I don't know I don't see what the significance of 925 Parkwood Drive is. It's, I don't see it either. Yeah, why did he pay four hundred and thirty thousand upics? Maybe yeah, I don't know. It's a modest little house. There's four cars in the driveway. I wonder if he lives there or had lived there. Yeah, or maybe there's something else going on there. Maybe this property was just used as a utility to move upics oh, around. That's true. Uh, I know that he is a community hero that has returned several uh, mislisted properties to their. To their owners, so that's totally possible. Yeah, okay. As well, uh, the fourth one for four hundred twenty thousand upics was uh, fifteen thirty three East Seventeenth Street, Jones D. Uh, bought not this. to be confused with our friend Jones. Uh, yeah, Jones D. Jones D. Bought. Um, this is four hundred twenty one up squares. Again, I, I don't. I guess I don't know Cleveland enough to make any comment, but I did. I'm sure I Googled all of these already because I would have done that before I wrote my notes. And again, I, yeah. just, I don't see anything significant about this. It's downtown. Other than that, yeah. Let's see. What which could be something. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like it's an old brick building if I'm looking at the right one. Yeah, I see. The other too. thing that I'm hoping was not a mistake is that this fronts, it's a corner lot that also fronts Superior Avenue, and Superior was also speculated as a potential collection. Right. So I hope this wasn't incorrectly purchased, thinking it was it could be a Superior Avenue sure. uh, collection property. Sure, sure. Uh, all right, and the last one, our old friend LH337. That player is... Definitely an OG. Uh, you remember his late night? What would he do? What would they do? Was that him? Yeah. <laughs> Listing properties for Undermint. Yeah, 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 definitely. That was a lot of fun. And they were just popping up everywhere. Yeah. Getting rid of all of his uh, no, Noe Valley or was that the name oh, of the yeah. neighborhood? Right. That uh, apparently there was a minting challenge that he won and I uh, wanted to get rid of them. And it's funny cause he pops up on this uh, list every, every now and again. And so it's obvious that they're still playing. Uh, he bought 
1159 East 40th Street for about 400,000 upics off uh, Diablo Crow. So shout out to them. This is a huge property. It was a 200K mint. So they bought it at a 2X markup. Did you see the size of this property? I do. It's gigantic. Yeah, 2,415 up squares. Um, a bunch of big ones around there. Yeah, if this is... If this ends up being in a collection, that'll be a monster. I don't see what collection it could be in, but I'm also not very good at picking out the uh, the venue type collections. Sure. I don't know what this is. Well, all I right. Know. So let me tell you a quick story. So it was story time. Uh, a couple days after Sunday on the 4th, and I was talking to my buddy uh super dope shout out super dope on a discord and we were talking about um just i guess where where i grew up in new jersey and he asked me if i ever lived in manhattan and uh i just i told him no but i had a good close friend who moved to manhattan who and it instantly reminded me that uh i had forgotten to Wish him happy birthday on the 4th. His birthday is the 4th of July. I never oh, wow. missed that one. I don't know why I missed it this year. but uh, So I messaged him. Happy birthday. And uh, we got to talking on Facebook Messenger, uh, just catching up. And then he asked me what I was doing now. And when I explained uh, NFTs, um, that led to a phone call. And the, the funniest thing, and he laughed and I laughed, but so he moved to Manhattan like when we were both like 18 or so. Like I think I was 18 okay. or 19. And he might have been 17 or 18. And uh, moved from New Jersey to Manhattan to go uh, work up there and um, ha has had a very successful career in, in real estate. He, in fact, owns his own commercial real estate firm in Manhattan. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, his name is, is Cosmo. His last name is uh, Montemuro. It's Muro Realty. You can look it up. But um, I, I knew this back when Manhattan opened in Upland. And I could, there was this little bit of me that was like, hey, let me call Cosmo and tell him about this. Maybe he has some commercial properties. I can get a list and I can just, I can snatch them up for him. And maybe there's something there tying yeah. the, the commercial properties with the NFTs once that becomes a thing. But as I rehearsed it in my head, it never sounded not stupid, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Evangelists always do sound stupid. Right, right, right. And, uh, so I never did, and I, and I deeply regret that because I told him about it this time, and he, he now has an account that he just started up. Uh, mm -hmm. The account name is his business name. It's uh, M-U-R-R-O. Uh, he's been going in. Uh, I haven't checked to see where he was at. I know that he had director in like a few days. Yeah, he's at 1.4 million now, 86 properties, eight collections. But uh, I would consider him a expert resource on uh well obviously real estate and properties and I, I was talking to him at the airport on the way to california about it and he was just blowing my mind with like all you know you can tell when you're talking to an expert in uh in their in their field like i you know right, i can right. absolutely tell that you know everything there is to know about maps and and, and that kind of stuff it, and just the uh the the way he was talking about uh, 
balancing his portfolio in Upland. It just was blowing my mind. And yeah. I had a, a Sturz Merlin reached out to me and um, suggested that we do an episode on how to evaluate property in Upland that has oh, built, wow. that have buildings on it, right? And yeah. uh, so I'm hoping that I can get Cosmo to come in as a special guest on the Upix podcast to give his perspective, at least from an in real life uh, view from somebody who has been wildly successful at it and, uh, you know, knows, knows that game uh, specifically in, you know, the biggest city in the world and uh, see what advice and what pointers uh, he may have for our listeners. And um, because I know that I can't, I wouldn't even know where to start listing a property that has a structure on it. Um, I don't know what what variables I would take into account. I could tell you all of the ones that I've built on I wouldn't sell. So I guess right. I never really thought about it. But I'm sure there are there are plenty of players out there who are, uh, you know, that's what they're doing. They're buying parcels, building on them, trying to sell them. And so what what constitutes um, a valuable property. Oh yeah. And especially when you start a new build, um, you go to make your selection and it, it tells you how many units can be with the expected living units within each one of those. So they definitely have some utility to them as well in game. That would be fascinating to figure out how to, oh, right. how to quantify that. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because you know what, that, you know, like they've always said, the, the OPEX dividends are going to going to go away when they're replaced by the the in-game economy. Right. You know, um, they're they're just a temporary placeholder for what should be how we're how we are earning through, you know, rentals and, and, and leasing and, and businesses and such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll be a huge factor. Cool. I look forward to hearing so, input. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna I I just texted him a little too late this evening to get him on tonight, but I, I will reach out early enough next week so that we can uh have one. Cool. So, all right. Do you have anything for our listeners before we let them go? I am done and done. Yeah. Thanks same. so much for getting back into this. Yeah, uh, man. Always happy to talk with you about Upland. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. And on that note. We're out of here. It's the Opix Podcast, baby. Glad you tuned in. Got your host, thank me later, and you're stupid to win. Might become an obsession as soon as you begin. Start out king of the street, then lock in iconic in. Welcome to Offland. Grab your Opix, man. On your way in the door, hit you with four grand. Get to buying and gripping, then to selling and flipping. Over to moving and shocking, I'm Scrooge McDuckin' in Opix.